Chapter 9D of Bible Defense of Slavery by Josiah Priest. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. This account of the character of the ancient and first Negroes of Canaan, as given by Solomon in the Book of Wisdom, is corroborated in relation to cannibalism by the sacred text itself, and therefore is established against them beyond all doubt. See Book of Numbers, chapter 13, verse 23, where there is an account of the spies who were sent into the mountains and country of Canaan to see what kind of people dwelt there, who reported of them when they returned that they were monsters, not only in stature, but in practice, for they said, they eat up the inhabitants. That is, they were cannibals, which frightened the spies nearly out of their wits. The Carthaginians sacrificed infants to their gods, as well as adult persons. At one time, says Rolin, volume 1, pages 255 and 272, they burnt 200 babies and 300 grown persons. But whether they eat them after they were roasted is not related by the historian. This dreadful practice they carried with them from old Phoenicia, or the land of Canaan, as the black nations of Carthage were derived from the blacks of Canaan. Page 275 of the above author. This is a dreadful picture of the ferocity of those early Negro nations, who, it appears, not only worshipped the devil, practiced witchcrafts and sorcery, disregarded the marriage rites, murdered, swore false, practiced all kinds of dissimulation, but in addition to all this, they would kill and eat their own children, or any of the weaker inhabitants, the aged, the infirm, prisoners, etc. All these they would devour as an article of food. The times alluded to by Solomon in the Book of Wisdom and by the Book of Numbers, as above quoted, was some fifteen and nineteen hundred years B.C. Comparing these facts with the statements of Herodotus on the same subject, we learn that the Negro race, more or less, have always been addicted to cannibalism, from the very beginning till the present time. The following is from the pen of Herodotus, the eldest of the Greek historians, where it is recorded respecting the Libyan Negroes, quote, If any man among them appeared to be diseased, his nearest connections put him to death immediately, alleging in excuse that sickness would waste and injure his flesh. They pay no regard to his assertion that he is not really ill, but without the least compunction, deprive him of his life, and then devour him when cooked. From the time of Moses to the time of Herodotus was a lapse of more than 1,000 years. From the time of Herodotus to the time of the 13th century of the Christian era, when, according to Baron Humholdt and other good authorities, cannibalism was entirely universal in Egypt, among the Negro class of the people, 
was a lapse of some fifteen hundred years, and from the thirteenth century to the present time is some four hundred more, accounting in all to full three thousand years of the history of that race, in which they have been, irrespective of civilization, actually more or less in the practice of the dreadful crime of eating human flesh as an article of food, not from necessity, nor on account of the requirements of their religion, but wholly from the common desire of that kind of food, the same as dogs or any other carnivorous animal. But it was a few years since, 1839, that a part of the crew of the vessel Colonel Crockett, which sailed from Newburgh, New York, to Africa, was devoured by the Negro cannibals on the Delago River, inland about a hundred miles, while engaged on a hunting excursion in the woods of that river. For all the particulars of that horrid affair, see the paper entitled The New World, March 13, 1841. On comparing the white nations in any or all the ages of the earth with the tribes, hordes, and nations of the aboriginal blacks, it is not possible, however far removed from the lights and influences of the true religion, to find such evidences of absolute mental and practical degradation as is found over the whole earth among the negro race whether in a civilized or a savage state. It is impossible to find, in the history of any of the white nations, since the flood of Noah, a community who were absolutely without any knowledge of a god, of law and order, self-government, etc., as we find in all the history of the savage parts of the negro race. Is there, on the page of universal history, whether written or traditionary, any account of white men going entirely naked in the woods all their lives, their women and their children having no dwellings better than a cave, a hollow tree, or a hut made of twigs, or some fragile substance, without order, laws, religion, or any kind of refinements whatever, no knowledge of agriculture or of improvements in any way beyond a wooden spear, a bow and arrows, or some such implement. In such a condition, millions of the Negro race are found in all ages of the world, as well as at the present time. But never the white race. Is not this fact an evidence of the radical and abiding difference there is between the races? the blacks and the whites, in relation to mind. In America, however, it is very common for some people to charge the low and degraded condition of the Negro race to the account of the domineering manners of the whites over them. But we presume they will not do so in relation to the foregoing accounts as the white man's influence is unknown in their ancient or modern barbarous condition. On this account, such persons will be compelled, even against their own wills, to place the cause to the right account, which is the Negro's own natural imbecilities. 
it is utterly impossible to reduce the whites by any process whatever to so low a condition as is found to be the universal state of the negro race on account of the possession of superior mental faculties moral feelings reason reflections sympathies and all the train of qualifications constituting the image of god as alluded to genesis chapter 1 verse 27 but these qualifications and this image are possessed by the negro race in a less degree which corresponds exactly with the difference there is between the color forms and attitudes of the two races in further illustration of this fact it is said by physicians who have made the tropical diseases their study that the negro sleeps sound in every disease nor does any mental disturbance ever keep them awake they bear surgical operations much better than whites and what would be the cause of insupportable pain to a white a negro would almost disregard i have says dr mosley amputated the legs of many negroes who have held the upper part of the limb themselves alone lawrence's lectures page 402 as a corroboratory of this fact we see it stated in the speech of dr browning in the great abolition convention at london that when he was in egypt a black man who was a soldier and who was wounded in the leg found it necessary to have the limb amputated this was done by a surgeon named clot bay and when he expressed his surprise at not hearing any exclamation of pain his answer was do you think that a black man can bear pain no better than the white man can pennsylvanian freeman august sixth eighteen forty the circumstance however is made use of by negro admirers as an evidence of the great fortitude of their natures and strength of mind but this notion is overthrown in the fact of their want of courage in the hour of terror and danger and of perseverance in great undertakings it is true that the race is ferocious but ferocity is neither an evidence of courage fortitude nor of mind but is rather a trait of their nervous insensibility agreeing with the fact above stated the distinction of color between white and black is not more striking than is the difference between the moral feelings and mental endowments of the two races they indulge almost universally in disgusting debauchery and sensuality displaying everywhere a gross indifference to the mental pains and pleasures of others insensibility to order and metaphysical harmony with an entire want of what is comprehended under the idea of elevated sentiment manly virtue and moral feeling is characteristic of the race these traits and virtues attach more prominently to the whites which cannot be denied by any but fanatics the profoundly ignorant and self-blinded character there are districts of country in africa 
and especially along the Atlas Mountains, in which apes and baboons are so abundant that in many of the mud-hut towns of the Negro natives, these animals live all together, as if they were members of the same community. Herd's Researches, Volume 1, page 37. Herodotus speaks of a tribe of Negroes in Africa who were so profoundly ignorant that they had no names by which they could distinguish each other, their memories, respecting the looks of individuals, being their only guide when they met, the same as dogs after they get acquainted. In no age and under no circumstances is it possible to ascertain among any tribes, nations, or communities of the whites, so much misery and meanness, so much wretchedness and bestiality, as is found among the Negroes, not of America, but of Africa, among the aboriginal people. Neither is it possible to ascertain from the page of history, under the most favoring circumstances, that the Negro race have ever risen to a comparable height with the white nations in the sciences, or even in the most necessary arts. The ancient Negroes of Egypt, Ethiopia, Libya, and Phoenicia had no knowledge of water power as being applicable to propel machinery, nor of machinery itself. They knew nothing of the architectural arc. They had no knowledge of the mighty principle of steam, nor of gunpowder, nothing of the magnetic needle, the clock or timepiece. They knew nothing respecting anatomy and the circulation of the blood in the human body or in animals. They had no knowledge of the art of printing, nor of the iron plowshare with hundreds of implements and manufactures now understood and in use in the world among white nations well what of all that says one neither were any of these things known or understood by anybody else black or white in those times granted but how came it to pass we ask that in the process of ages the negro man or race has never discovered any of these things while the white man has found out and invented them all it is true that the scriptures intimate that the Egyptians were a very wise people, by saying that Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. Acts chapter 7 verse 22. But what was this wisdom, after all, but a mass of superstition and nonsense, respecting their idolatrous religion, a world of stuff which Moses despised and rejected? Respecting their wisdom, the Jewish rabbi hold, says Dr. Clark, that it consisted in the arts of necromancy and magic, with which Moses, of necessity, was well acquainted, having been brought up in the court of Pharaoh, as heir apparent to the throne. But he condemned the whole as false wisdom and vain philosophy, derived from the heresies of the tower, as from a germ engendered in the polluted hearts of Ham and Nimrod, the great fathers of Negro idolatry in the world. In closing this section, 
we give the opinion of Rollin, as it respects the innate strength of the negro's mind and courage, in substance, as follows. The Carthaginians had mean and groveling souls, as when they were victorious in battle, they were always cruel and ferocious to the prisoners. But when defeated themselves, they would cringe down like frightened dogs, losing all courage and hope. This was the true character of the famous Carthaginians, in all their wars and history of their existence. Volume 1, page 255. During the first Punic or Phoenician War, toward the close of that contest, the Carthaginians were obliged to procure a general to lead their armies, and conduct their forces against the Romans from the Greeks, as among themselves there were none who could cope with the victorious Regulus. The general they procured was the famous Xantippus, a Lacedaemonian, who, when he had taken the command of the Sudi legions, soon became the victor, even taking the Roman commander prisoner, as well as defeating his forces, when a peace between the two powers ensued. Does this fact go to exhibit the black men of Carthage, whether woolly-headed or straight-haired, as being equal in point of talent with white men, when they were compelled to employ a white general, a Greek, to compete with and conquer the Romans at that time, or submit to ruin? Welpley's Compendium of History, page 165. But how did the Carthaginians requit the brave white general for his acts of valor and friendship? By murdering him, for fear that it should be known that a white man had assisted them, and was the cause of their good fortune. This fact shows also, as Rollin has spoken of them, namely, that they were mean and groveling of soul. On that famous occasion, it is said by the above historian, volume 1, page 285, that when the Carthaginians saw how much superior the abilities of Xantippus were to their own generals in maneuvering the troops in battle, they were struck with astonishment, and said that the ablest generals of Carthage knew nothing in comparison with this Greek. As to the natural courage, which is but another term for superior abilities, of the Roman white men and the black Carthaginians, there was no comparison, as the former, though often defeated, were never discouraged, while the latter fell into despair at the very omens of defeat. Rollin, Volume 1, page 297. This author further saith, Volume 1, page 356, that whenever the Carthaginians got a victory over the Romans, their white opponents, they would butcher, crucify, and tear the prisoners to death. But that, on the contrary, when the Romans got a victory, they were lenient and humane. This fact, to Hannibal, was a very strange thing, which his mind could not readily comprehend. Mercy to a defeated enemy was, to the Carthaginians, a solveless problem, 
while in the minds of the Romans it was a virtue of the highest order. That such dispositions as these are the innate character of the Negro race is further shown from the following. In Western Africa, it is now a custom of the King of Dahomey annually to assemble all the chiefs and nobles of his kingdom in order to aid him in the ceremony of watering the graves of his ancestors with blood. On such occasions, hundreds of human beings were butchered, consisting of prisoners, of criminals, and also of many seized promiscuously by lawless violence from among the crowd who suspected no evil. At any time when the king wishes to send a message to his deceased relation in another world, he delivers the errand to someone standing near, and then strikes off his head that he may go and carry it. The roofs of the huts of this king's place of residence are ornamented all over, as are also the pavements before the doors of his huts, with the jawbones and skulls of human beings. In western Africa there is another kingdom called Ashanti, whose king is far more a tyrant than the king of Dahomey. When the English commissioners, not many years since, had arrived at the capital, which was but a wilderness of low and conical huts, it was at a time when the annual man-butchery took place for the sake of the dead. The following is the account as published. Universal Traveler, page 420. Quote, During their stay, the commissioners witnessed scenes so dreadful that it seemed to sink the Ashanti character even below the ordinary level of savage life. The custom of human sacrifices is practiced here on a scale still more tremendous than at Dahomey. The king had lately sacrificed, on the grave of his mother, three thousand victims, and at the death of the late sovereign, his predecessor, the sacrifice was continued weekly for three months. On these occasions, the cabalkirs and princes, in order to court the royal favor, would often rush out from the presence of the king, and the first man they met they would drag to the sacrifice. While this business lasts, it is, therefore, with trembling steps that anyone crosses the king's threshold. And when compelled to do so, they rush along with the utmost speed, as if they were passing the gates of hell, dreading every moment the murderous grasp from which there is no escape. Close quote. Here there was a sacrifice of 2,400 lives of slaves, in the short order of three months. At such a rate as that, a custom of this description would, in a century, during the reign of, say, but four kings, allowing them an average reign of 25 years, destroy the lives of 240,000 slaves as it is the slave of the Ashanti who have thus to suffer. Is American slavery anything like this, as now extant in the Negro's own happy land, 
as abolitionists would have men believe it is? What other people but this race, the Hamites, have been found on the earth since the creation of man, who are so foolish and cruel when they have power and opportunity? Had there been no other race created on the earth, long ago the whole world would have been but one great slaughterhouse, in which no light of science, religion, government, or the useful arts would ever have been heard of, as all these blessings are of other origin than the negro man. As it was then, in the ages of Carthage, so it is now, and ever has been thus. The negro, when in power, plays the tiger, glorying in deeds of blood and terror. But when in subjection, he cringes with stupid fear, yielding his neck easily to the yoke and condition of slavery. If Hannibal was a great general, or rather a successful one, we think we need not fear to assert that what he was he owed to the superior talents of two white men, Lacedaemonians, namely Sobsius and Philemius, one of whom was his teacher and the other a counselor, who always attended him in his warlike expeditions. Rollin, Volume 1, page 375. There were others of the Africans, as Massiniso and Juba, kings who reigned in the interior of Africa in the time of the Carthaginians, of whom it is said that they were great men, who, as well as Hannibal, received their education of white teachers, the Romans. In conclusion, therefore, from a view of the preceding facts, we are compelled to hold that it is absolutely certain, taking the whole history of both races, the whites and blacks, into the account, that the latter are absolutely unequal and lower in mental abilities, and do not possess, naturally, the stamina of improvement as do the former. But that this difference is attributable alone to the wisdom of God in the creation of the Negro race, in the blood and being of Ham, their father. On which account it is utterly impossible to elevate them to an equality with the whites, as it is to take away the blackness of their skins. As sure as day is fairer to the sight than dreary darkness in the hour of night, or wood less dazzling in the light's bright glare, than Ophir's sands of gold and rubies are. So sure it is, as sure as truth is great, the blacks have got, than whites, a thicker pate. But if this thought displease as not refined, we can but add, therefore, they have less mind. End of chapter 9